Morning. Acts eleven eighteen to 30. So Ken called me a couple weeks ago and uh, told me that he was going to preach up through Acts eleven eighteen last week, therefore giving me this passage, and I had two immediate thoughts. Uh, first thought was, oh, are you? You're going to preach a full chapter and half? Uh, that's going to be good. I can't, I can't wait to see that. So apparently we're going to move, apparently we're going to move through Acts a little bit quicker than we went through Matthew. Um, I was, uh, I joke with him that I was gone from the church for five years and I missed one sermon series uh, just through the, the book of Matthew, but that's not quite true. I missed two. I missed Titus also. So, uh, but second, I said, I see how this is shaking down. You're going to get the proposed church planter to preach on planting churches on the day of the meeting to discuss church planting. What could possibly go wrong? Um, But, of course, Ken got sick. That meeting's been moved back a week. And, um, but let me still make this commitment to you this morning. I'm not going to eisegete our situation into the text this morning. Okay, I don't see the word, I don't see the name New Branch anywhere in our passage this morning. Um, our sermon this morning is not going to be a stump speech for church planting, for the church planting proposal. You have to come back next Sunday night for hear, to hear that from me. Um, this morning, we get to relish in a text that is beautiful in its simplicity and mighty in its call. This morning we see the power of the gospel and the unfolding plan of God to spread his kingdom by establishing a new kingdom outpost in Antioch. God, who builds his church, uses the little but powerful match of faithful evangelism to light a fire of gospel witness that is fanned into flames by solid discipleship and then eventually burns bright enough to send back help to the mother church. And uh, spoiler alert, because the book's been out for a while, but in just a few weeks, Lord willing, I'll be back here preaching from Acts 13 how this little startup becomes the epicenter of the gospel going global. As we get after it this morning, this text ought to provoke some questions in us. Do we still believe in the power of the gospel? Like really believe that God can empower even you to proclaim Christ to those who are far from God, and God can take those seeds, water them, give the growth so that it results in radical life change. Further questions like, does the kingdom of God still march onward? Are we still committed to seeing the kingdom of God take new ground in our neighborhoods, in our city, in our country, and even around the world in places where the gospel's never been preached? And further, what would it look like if churches were all about his kingdom growth and not just their own little territory? Let us learn from the work of God in Antioch and let us walk out of here today with a renewed vigor that God might use us to proclaim Christ, to strengthen his church, and to cooperate together so that his kingdom might continue to expand to the ultimate end 
that he would receive the glory that he is due. Acts 11, starting in verse 18. When they heard these things, they fell silent, and they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. Now, those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Now, in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined, everyone according to his ability, to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. Let's pray. <coughs> Father God, thank you for your word. God, thank you for the constant spurring from your word. Lord, I pray that you would uh, do your work in your people this morning, that you would comfort those that need to be comforted, that you would convict those that need to be convicted. Um, Father, that you would give us a sense of your glory this morning that propels us out to do gospel work of evangelism, of strengthening, of cooperation. Father, I pray that you would stir that up in us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So this morning, I want us to see three simple truths from zooming in on the church at Antioch before we close by zooming out and looking big picture. <clears throat> first, first truth, God's kingdom grows as all God's people proclaim Christ. Our text opens in verse, in verse 19 with a call back to chapter 8. Back in chapter 8, Acts 8.1, speaking about the fallout from the stoning of Stephen, it says, And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. And then going down to verse 4, Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. And then we see here in our text, now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen, traveling the word to no one except Jews. So, scattered by persecution, they make their way up to Phoenicia, they make their way over to the island of Cyprus, they make their way even some 300 miles north of Jerusalem to the city of Antioch. Antioch is the 
third largest city in the Roman Empire at the time, behind only Rome and Alexandria. Population between a quarter million and half a million people, depending on which person you believe. Uh, Far away from the apostles, and what do they do? They speak the word. Then some of them from Greek-speaking lands also spoke to the Greeks, preaching the Lord Jesus. They came preaching the gospel. It says, the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. And in church, I absolutely love this. Hear this. I absolutely love this. We don't even know their names. We don't even know their names. They weren't apostles. We know that. We might guess that some of them might be leaders that are mentioned later in chapter 13, but that's just a guess. They were just ordinary believers who knew their mission, who took seriously the commission of Acts 1.8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Ordinary believers, empowered by his extraordinary spirit, faithfully proclaiming an extraordinary gospel. And God uses their faithfulness to bring about a revival in Antioch, establishing the Antioch church as a new kingdom outpost that will later rise up to send out Paul on his missionary journeys. Church, what might God do through your ordinary life if you just commit to proclaim his gospel more and more to those who don't know him? You who think that you don't know enough. You who think that you are too sinful. You who can't even name a non-Christian outside of your family. You who think you're past your prime. You who are so busy with so many other things. You are just the kind of ordinary person God uses to expand his kingdom. This is why I ask, do we really believe in the power of the gospel? Is the gospel the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes? Like, let me be clear on this. If you're here today and not a Christian, first of all, I'm glad you're here. But I want you to hear this loud and clear. We don't believe that becoming a Christian is just a matter of adhering to a new moral code. We don't believe that becoming a Christian is merely a matter of just like starting to live according to the Bible. No, no, no. We're like way more crazy than that, okay? We believe that our sin separates us from a holy God who was rightly due our worship, that Jesus lived lived the sinless life we could never live, and then died on the cross in our place, paying the penalty for our sin, so that if we turn to him in faith and repentance, we received Christ's righteousness as if we had lived his sinless life. And here's the thing. We believe that in order to trust in Christ, God has to do a supernatural work on your heart. He has to make you new. You need the natural scales to fall from your eyes so you can behold the glory of Christ, the beauty of Christ, and go running to him. We need our 
rebellious, self-seeking desires to be changed by the power of God. He must give us a new heart. Like, this is some old school stuff here, right? Like, we believe that Wherever you've been, whatever you've done, whatever life you've led, you can be born again by trusting in Christ, putting the old self to death and raised to walk in newness of life. That's not a human work. That's a divine work. And so Christian, listen, it's not about you. It's not about the ordinary nameless evangelist. It's about the hand of the Lord was with them. He who plants and he who waters is nothing. Neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. Okay, here's where I think we have this messed up. Too often, okay, we seem to be waiting around for some like special crystal clear moment before we open our mouth about Jesus. Most often, I don't think that's how it works. Like, You don't need the special prompting of the Spirit in order to proclaim Christ. His Spirit already wrote it down for you in his book. Your conversion was your commissioning to go with the gospel. 1 Peter says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. The sense that we get from the book of Acts is that the scattered believers went about proactively and intentionally scattering the seeds of the gospel wherever they went, and then sometimes the Lord blessed that and gave the growth. But it starts with the spirit-wrought commitment to to scatter the seeds of the gospel. Moreover, we see in our passage today that the church in Antioch wasn't just founded through evangelism. Proclaiming Christ to non-believers was an ongoing way of life for the Antioch church. When Barnabas comes to help strengthen and establish the Antioch church, there remains an ongoing flurry of gospel witness So you can look down to verse 24, and you see, and a great many people were added to the Lord. This is just part of life in the church. Further on, it says, Saul and Barnabas met with the church and taught a great many people. And most commentators would agree that that's a statement about strengthening, but also proclaiming Christ to non-believers. So, uh, I know... I know some of you hear this, and you're thinking, like, move along, guys. Like, every week it's about evangelism. Say something else. Here's my five-point rebuttal. (laughs) I've got two more. Number one, I've got two more points coming, so hang hang on. Number two, we're preaching through the book of Acts. Okay, we've got 17 more chapters to go, and I'm just going to tell you, we're going to be confronted with the call to proclaim Christ over and over. Three, we live in the church age. The worldwide spread of the gospel is a primary calling 
on God's people in our epoch of redemptive history. Number four, it's in our mission statement. It used to be right there on a banner, okay, until someone moved it, and I know who you are. Um, Glorifying God by making disciples of all nations. Okay, like we're really upfront about it's right there in our mission statement. You heard it last week? Cool. Probably weeks before that. Probably months before that, as we worked our way through the first 11 chapters. Listen, you and I both know that some of us, not all of us, some of us, have heard it over and over, and we haven't made any real effort to actually open our mouths and preach Christ. You say, ah, I knew it was coming. There's the guilt trip. Let me be clear. Your standing before God is based on Christ's performance, not your performance. We ceased with trying to measure up when we trusted in Christ, acknowledging then that we would never measure up and receiving the lavish grace of God. He doesn't love you any more or any less because of your track record of evangelism. He loves, loves you because you are washed in Christ's blood. But yes, Christian, we do still believe in obeying Christ. We do believe that we should be doers of the word and not hearers only. We believe in the ongoing sanctifying work of the Spirit, whereby he continues to transform us more and more into the image of Christ. And that means that from time to time, we will have areas of our Christian life that we need to work on with the Spirit's help. Look, some of you I know hear this gospel or hear this call to evangelism and you say, man, I want that. I want to be more faithful. I want to scatter seeds and trust God to give the growth. I don't even know how. Here's my encouragement to you from my own life as the Lord began to break me on this many years ago. I've shared this before and I still believe it. Number one, settle in your heart that God wants to use you to proclaim Christ. No more excuses, no more exegetical gymnastics, no more, that's just not my gift. We're not going to get after how to go until we settle that we have to go. Second, pray asking God to show you what to do next. Third, do something intentional. Uh, anytime I talk about intentional when it comes to evangelism, people are like, what? But it's weird for me, okay? You talk about the subject of evangelism and people are like, you can't be intentional. Uh, but we don't do that with anything else. Like, someone needs to grow in Christ. You need to grow in the scriptures. You're not like, hey, wait around for an open door, okay? If I need to, like, work on my marriage you tell me to like make a plan and be intentional. If I need to disciple my kids, you tell me to make a plan and be intentional. 
Like, just wait around. Make a plan and be intentional about how we can interact with non-believers and how we might go and share the gospel. Start walking in your neighborhood trying to meet people. Invite someone from work to lunch. Go to the park. I don't know. You do it your way. But find a way. Be weird. Stumble through it. Learn how to do it and keep getting better at it. Okay? And four, rinse and repeat. Just keep trying. Keep doing something. And five, I would say, find some way to remind yourself of the call to go with the gospel. We have a stack of, uh, we have a stack of Bibles on our shelf that are just ready to give out to someone. And I, it's right there next to my Bible that I use in the morning, and it's just a reminder to go with the gospel. Like, I'd love to give that Bible to someone. I'd love to meet a neighbor and give that one there. Last, still others of you are faithfully grinding on to you. I say keep going more and more. All of that evangelistic labor will be worth it on the day when we stand before the throne of God with people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. The Antioch Church is established by ordinary people faithfully proclaiming Christ and the hand of the Lord is with them. And man, I just love it so much. We don't even know their names. Okay, preach the gospel, die and be forgotten, as one man said. You don't need to know my name. You need to know Jesus. Second, God's kingdom grows as God's people are strengthened. Okay, this is the point some of you were waiting for. Like, I know, you're ready to pounce. Like, the Great Commission is more than just making converts. Yes, yes, sir, it is. Okay? Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The call is not to stop at making converts, but to make deeply rooted disciples who have solid foundation to their faith and who walk out in all the implications of the gospel. Okay, so don't, don't say this morning, all he cares about is evangelism, okay? That's just miss me with that, that dog won't hunt, okay? Uh, we can be deeply passionate about both. We can. We must be deeply passionate about both. Verse 22, the report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. Okay, so this is how it goes down. Word got back, Bible going on in Antioch. Uh, they're like, hey, Barnabas, son of encouragement, um, remember that thing we were talking about where the gospel was going forth to the Gentiles? Yeah. Well, apparently it's popping off in Antioch, so we need you to go check it out. Like, pack a bag, son, go encourage, go check it out. Um, so Barnabas is himself a native of Cyprus, just like some of the first evangelists to Antioch. Uh, he takes off on a 300-mile jaunt up north to see what's going on in Antioch. Okay, in the same way that back in chapter 8, the Jerusalem church had previously sent Peter and John to Samaria to, 
see what was going on there and strengthen the believers there, they do the same thing here. Barnabas came. He saw the grace of God. Okay, this was a legit work of God's sovereign grace. He rejoiced. The kingdom of God is expanding. And he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord. And as he's there, he's teaching and he's strengthening the Antioch church. More and more people keep coming to Christ. Okay, to the point that Barnabas realizes, I'm going to need some help. He takes off then on a 120-mile, eight-day journey from Antioch over to Tarsus to go look for his old buddy Saul. We haven't heard from Saul since chapter 9, where the brothers shipped him off from Jerusalem back to Tarsus because they were afraid that people were about to kill him. Uh, the language there in the, in the verse implies that Barnabas may have had some difficulty in, in even locating Saul. Okay? Saul was perhaps ministering throughout Syria and Cilicia, as he recounts in Galatians 1. But eventually he finds him, and he brings him to Antioch, where it says, for a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. Okay, here's what we already know, but we need to see. It is important for God's people to be strengthened by God's teaching. It's important. Okay, like, we already know that. We just need to be reminded of it this morning. Church, at New Branch, our aim is that everyone would be growing and helping others grow. How's that going for you? Are you growing in Christ? Are you growing in your understanding of his word? Are you growing more and more into his image? Do you have an affection for his word that draws you back over and over? Or has that love gone stale for you somewhere along the way? Baby Christians need to be strengthened through a vigorous pursuit of his word. Long-time Christians need to continue to grow and not become stagnant. It's my... Uh, Carefully researched conclusion that most Christians could use more Bible in their life. And I don't mean volume, like read a little, read some small sections, read large chunks, whatever. I go back and forth at different times of the year. But whatever it is, most of us could use more. Is there something you need to do this week to pursue growth in Christ? You need to get back on a reading plan. You need to sign up for the women's study that you were just going to skip out on this time around. You need to turn off the TV and pick up that theology book that's been sitting on your nightstand. What is it? What is it that you need to do this week to pursue growth in Christ? And then what about helping others grow? Who in the church are you coming alongside and linking arms with, seeking to intentionally help them grow in Christ. Look, if you're too busy to take time to spur on your brothers and sisters in the faith, then you're just too busy. 
If you go the whole week without checking in on someone from your base group, then you're missing out on an opportunity to serve your brothers and sisters. And look, if you're someone that needs help, needs someone to come alongside you, then just go to someone. You're like, hey, can you help me? Let your need be made known. And if you are, if you see someone that might be in need of help, then just ask, okay? Ask them if there's a way you can come alongside them to spur them on. That shouldn't be, like, offensive, right? It shouldn't be like, oh, he thinks I need help. Uh, that, shouldn't, that shouldn't be the case. We all need someone like that in our lives. The Antioch church is strengthened through the apostles' teaching. It's strengthened through godly leaders. It's built up and established to the point that it's apparently noticeably distinct to the folks around them. So much so that the new community gets a new name from outsiders. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Interesting, the word Christian is used three times in the New Testament. Here, Acts 26, 1 Peter 4. Each time, it's always coming from outsiders. Okay, it's likely a term of derision. It's an insult. But even still, the point holds that the church was established and strengthened, that it was distinct enough that outsiders had to come up with a new name for this group of people. And the church is established, but it doesn't turn inward. As it's strengthened, it's more equipped to go with the gospel. And as it goes with the gospel, there's the ongoing need for more and more discipleship. Church, let me plead with you. Hold them both together. Too often we choose one or the other. Okay, so that the most established in the faith aren't going with the gospel and the most zealous about the faith aren't growing in the gospel. We can do both. Those that are most established in the faith need to be on the front lines proclaiming the gospel to those who don't know Jesus. Those that are most zealous for proclaiming the gospel need to be growing ever deeper roots in Christ so that they may better proclaim him. Third, God's kingdom grows as churches cooperate. <clears throat> this is a good old Southern Baptist point right here, okay? My profs from New Orleans would be very proud. Um, God gets more glory when churches look beyond their own local church and work together for the good of his kingdom. Okay, Jerusalem hears about Antioch and they send Barnabas to help. Antioch needs more help, so Barnabas links in Paul from, Saul from Tarsus. Going on to verse 27, Jerusalem, Jerusalem sends prophets up to Antioch. It's all about the kingdom. It's all about his glory and not the glory of any one local church. It's about the gospel going forth. It's not about hoarding resources like territory. It all belongs to God. Therefore, it's all on the table for the spread of Christ's kingdom. Jerusalem says, y'all need a teacher? Here, take one of our best and brightest. Saul says, there's work to be done in Antioch? I'm in. And then it comes full circle at this beautiful ending of our passage down in verse 27. 
Now, in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. And one of them, named Agabus, stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. Okay, we don't have to get into the weeds of exactly what a prophet is in the New Testament, okay? Matt's right here. He can answer all those questions afterwards for you, okay? But here's what we, here's what we need. Here's what you can know. Uh, Agabus, the prophet in the New Testament, isn't just teaching. He predicted the future, okay? That's what we can know that from our text. And the point of this in our passage isn't like whatever, what's a prophet and all of that. That's not what it's here to answer. The point in our passage is that Antioch hears the need, and they are moved with spirit-wrought generosity. Okay, it's that same spirit-wrought generosity that we saw back in Acts chapter 2, that we saw back in Acts chapter 4. They take up a collection, and they send relief to the brothers back in Judea, sending it to the elders via Barnabas and Saul. Churches can do more together than they can separate. Okay that's, why, okay, that's why we're partnered together with other like-minded churches in the Greater Atlanta Baptist Network, okay, that does a good work here locally, getting pastors together for times of encouragement and sharpening. It's why we're partnered together in the Pillar Network to work together to see more churches planted and more churches revitalized. Here, I look forward to seeing what God can do through Georgia pillar churches like us, like Hebron, like Mount Vernon, First Baptist Covington, Grace, Berean, and more coming together to support each other in church planting. Churches can do more together. Okay, this is why we're still cutting a check to Seven Mile Road to support the Sanders up in Boston. Why we're supporting Emmanuel Church to support the Comos as they plant in Weymouth. And I could go on for days about all the great work that goes on because Southern Baptist, Southern Baptist churches band together to support the North American Mission Board, the International Mission Board, and our seminaries. Okay, myself, Matt, Ken, Jonathan, all have benefited, were blessed by the benefit of cut-rate tuition when we were studying at Southern Baptist Bible Colleges and Seminaries. And we have other guys in our church right now that are blessed by that. Churches can do more when they come together. When churches come together for kingdom purposes, great gospel work can continue to be done even in a culture that is increasingly secular. And look, I told you I wouldn't stump this morning, but this is right there in the text. We heard that a close relationship between church and church plant was tough because it's only natural for each church to get focused on their own thing. But look, this is Jesus' church. Let's not be natural, okay? Let's be supernatural. It's right there in the text. Jerusalem helps Antioch. Antioch helps Jerusalem, all for the glory of Christ. So wherever we land about this is indisputable. Christ's church must be about Christ's kingdom, and therefore all of our resources are kingdom resources to be deployed 
to further the work of the gospel, whether that has benefit inside these four walls or not. Okay, so I'm grateful all of us remain united in that. God's kingdom grows as all God's people proclaim Christ. God's kingdom grows as God's people are strengthened. God's kingdom grows as churches cooperate. In closing, zoom out with me on the book of Acts and look how our passage fits into the book as a whole. I've read it already, but I'll read it again. Acts 1.8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And then we saw in Acts 2 the mighty work of the Spirit establishing the church in Jerusalem. And we saw in Acts 8 how the scattered believers went about preaching the gospel in Judea and Samaria. Now we see the Antioch church established 300 miles north of Jerusalem. And as we read Acts 11, it reminds us of that Jerusalem church back in Acts 2. We see the devotion to teaching. We see the sharing the gospel. We see radical generosity. Acts 11 is like shot through with echoes of Acts 2. Okay, and listen, if you're reading through the book, literarily, like as a book, like what happens next? If you're reading through the book this way, this is what we're supposed to see. It's happening It's happening. The gospel is advancing. God is building Christ's church. I'll leave you with this. Okay, some some things have changed since the book of Acts, but one thing that hasn't is this. The gospel is still the power of God for salvation to all who believe. The Spirit still empowers you to proclaim Christ. He's still on the forward march. So my question is just, how does he want to use you in that? Let's pray. Father God, uh, Lord, I pray that you would uh, do a work by your spirit, Lord, that you can do. Lord, I pray that you would guard us from whatever unhealthy reaction of an unhealthy guilt and all of that, God, but do stir us up to go with the gospel. And so, Father, I pray that that message wouldn't just be a burden laid on folks, but it would be an exciting privilege to go proclaim your gospel for your glory. And so God, I pray that you would going very well, Lord, to to do the hard work of figuring out what that looks like. God, I pray that you would bless our people's efforts, that you would do the work that only you can do, that you would give the growth as we go scatter seeds of the gospel. Father, I do pray that you would help us to continue to strengthen each other. Lord, that you would give us such a love for one another that we see when our brother or sister is struggling. We see when uh, there's some teaching that we can offer and that we 
selflessly pour our lives out to see people strengthened. And God, I do pray that you would continue to make us the kind of church that's all about your kingdom and not. Father, I pray that you would do all of that work for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.